We invite you again to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, this time to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. You'll see from the outline, we're particularly thinking this evening about verses 12 to 14, but I'd like to read from uh, verse 1 uh, to verse 18 so that we can appreciate the context of these words. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things, the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Amen. This is the Word of God. May He bless the reading and now the preaching of this portion of His Word. Well, Paul's letter to the Philippians, like so many of his epistles, was written in part to provide what today we might call a missionary report. 
You think of the, the missionaries you support, perhaps personally or, or as a congregation or as a family, and maybe they send you an update letter. Well, you get that email with uh, prayer updates from RPGM, right, Heather? And, uh, and you read the prayer update and you get news of what's happening on the field. What is it that you expect them to share with you? Well, I imagine you'd probably expect some kind of a personal update. How has their family, how has their health been, and so forth. But surely even more than this, more important than this, you expect an update on what the Apostle in verse 12 here calls the furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. After all, that's what they're there to do, right? They're there to proclaim Christ, to preach the good news. That's why you're supporting them. And so, uh, you want a progress report. How is the gospel advancing through their labors? What's the Lord doing in their midst? That is Paul's key thought in this section of the letter that we've just read. He says in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here we have Paul's personal update. And we see that he is facing considerable adversity. And yet, despite his sufferings, there's no doubt where Paul's main focus lies. It's with the advance of the gospel. That's his great concern. And so Paul's example during his imprisonment, I think, is a great example for all of us on how to advance through adversity. That's our theme this evening. Advancing through adversity. And I'd like us to consider two things. I'd like us to think about personal adversity and gospel advance. Those are our two points this evening. Let's think first of all about personal adversity. Paul here is a Christian who is clearly facing adversity. He, he describes and he explains it in a very telling phrase there in verse 13. He says, my chains are in Christ. My chains are in Christ. Here we have the adversity described, first of all. My chains. My chains. We've just read the Apostle is writing from prison. Well, we know the story, don't we? He had originally been arrested in Jerusalem. He had appealed his case to the court of Festus, the governor of Judea, and then to the court of Caesar. And after his dramatic journey by sea, he's now a prisoner in Rome. And he's awaiting his day in court with the emperor himself. We might say that Paul is experiencing a season of restraint. Uh, the liberty that he had formerly enjoyed has been taken away from him. The great uh, traveler, the great missionary and itinerant preacher is trapped like a bird in a cage. No more sermons in the marketplaces and the synagogues of the Mediterranean world. No more adventures by land and sea. No more warm fellowship with the beloved saints that he'd ministered to here in Philippi. And it seemed 
It seemed like a catastrophe for the Philippian church. Her greatest human asset in chains. In chains. And humanly speaking, Paul knew that he was quite helpless to free himself from these chains. We read that he was under the watchful eye of the palace guard in verse 13. That term literally uh, is the praetorian guard. Uh, the history nerds here will know these were the elite troops, okay? Uh, in Rome, they guarded the city. They guarded Caesar himself. They were really Caesar's personal bodyguard. Uh, contemporary sources tell us that Paul would have been personally guarded 24-7 by two of these soldiers continually changing out in four-hour shifts. Not a lot of privacy. We do know that he had liberty enough to receive some guests. Uh, later in the epistle, we meet Epaphroditus who came to visit him, for example. Uh, we know he had, obviously, the ability to write uh, epistles like this one. Uh, Acts 28.30 suggests there weren't really any hindrances on his sharing the gospel uh, with visitors. And yet, for all that, he was on trial for his life. And he was on trial before one of the world's most notorious tyrants, Caesar Nero. And these Philippians who received the letter, in their understandable concern, had sent Epaphroditus to see how he was doing. We, at the men's retreat, we, we talked a little bit about that. And how was this massive setback really going to affect Paul's gospel mission? It was a real concern. All this is what Paul has in mind when he writes in verse 12 about the things which happened to me. These are the things that had happened to him. Friends, there's application at once here for us. Although the precise details may be quite different, it's true that you and I face adversity in the Christian life. And the same can be said of congregations like this one. To use Paul's phrase, things happen to you. Things happen to you. Setbacks in your life. Heavy disappointments. Adversity. And trials, you, you may not be bound by literal chains, but you may feel bound by your circumstances, the things that have happened to you, whatever they may be. You don't need to be in a prison cell to feel trapped. I'm sure many of you know this. Maybe you feel trapped in your job. Maybe you feel trapped by unemployment. Maybe you feel trapped by your family status, trapped by your singleness, trapped by childlessness, or trapped by the demands of young children, trapped by long-term illness or chronic pain, trapped by frailty and old age. You see, we all face seeming setbacks in our Christian pilgrimage of one kind or another, and you find yourself in Paul's situation, in a place which, on the face of it, seems like a major setback. That's adversity described. But the text also gives us an explanation for this adversity. And so next we see adversity explained. Adversity explained. Paul doesn't just mention his chains. 
Paul explains his chains to us. He says, my chains are in Christ. My chains are in Christ. That's a good literal Greek translation. The ESV renders it, my imprisonment is for Christ. The NIV something similar. And these, I think, do correctly express the meaning of this phrase. But in making the verse more readable, I think perhaps they've overlooked something quite important here. Now, if you know the Apostle Paul, he never uses the phrase, in Christ, lightly. My chains, he says, are in Christ. That's very significant. You see, it's not just that his chains are a result of his Christian profession, his chains because of Christ, but they are, in a more fundamental sense, part of the very fabric of his relationship to Christ. They are in Christ. That is to say, his sufferings are also an evidence of his union with Jesus Christ, the suffering Savior. He's he's going to pick this theme up later on in chapter 3, verse 10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and, here it is, the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. You see, to be a Christian is to be in union with Christ. It is to personally experience increasing conformity to Him, which is a call to cruciformity. The Puritan Joseph Carroll put it very quaintly. He said, sufferings are like little ships of the cross. Isn't that nice? Sufferings are like little ships of the cross. Paul says, my chains are in Christ. Now, not all of our adversities in life may be clearly connected to your profession in this world, nor can they be labeled persecution. Sometimes we're just stupid, (laughs) right? I mean, sometimes we do things and we bring it on ourselves. That's not a cross you're carrying, that's just foolishness. Uh, Sometimes you you suffer chastening, and, and rightly so. You've only yourself to thank for it. Sometimes they just happen to you for no apparent reason. Think of Job. He didn't know about the interview God had with Satan. Why is this happening to me? I I don't know. But if you're a Christian, whatever they are, you can still say that all of them are in Christ. They may be adversities like illness that are common to man, but they come to you as one who is in Christ. They come to you not randomly dealt out by an impersonal fate or bad luck, but from the hands of your heavenly Father who turns your adversities into advances. Paul says, things happen. Things happen to us. And when they do, Paul teaches how to turn an apparent setback into sanctification and great adversities into gospel advances. So let's see how he does it. We go from personal adversity to think of the second point, gospel advance. Gospel advance. Now, Paul here begins his missionary report in verse 12 with the words, I want you to know, brethren. 
Something He wants us to know. Something He wants to direct their attention to. And it's not His adversity. That's the, he's not, this isn't a pity party. Oh, what was me? All this stuff happened. That's not His focus. The focus is elsewhere. It's the Gospel's advance through that adversity. That's what He wants them to see. So He outlines three aspects of this remarkable truth. Superintendence, evidence, and confidence. Let's take a look at each in turn. First of all, superintendence. Superintendence. Verse 12. Let's read the verse again. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know what my favorite word in that verse is? Actually. Actually. This actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It suggests a completely unexpected outcome. I never would have imagined it. Brethren in Philippi had heard about what had happened to Paul. And they were no doubt devastated by this turn of events, not only because they loved their pastor, and they were grieved at the thought of their pastor suffering and in chains, facing almost certain execution at the hands of Caesar, but also because the work of the gospel would surely not be hindered, not their pastor had been laid aside. But just look at how Paul, the pastor concerned here, actually interprets this. And how he wants the Philippians and us to interpret these things when they happen. The things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's amazing. Right, bear with me a little grammar here for a moment. Paul describes these events in the passive voice. You notice that? Things happened to me. They just happened, right? But things turned out differently. Right? Things happened and they turned out. He, he's writing rhetorically as if this adversity was, was a mere happenstance. They happened to me, but it turned out. And you see, that's how the world thinks about it, isn't it? Stuff happens, it really stinks, and maybe if you're lucky, things will be okay. But that's not what the Apostle Paul does. That's not the way he thinks. There's a touch of irony, I think, here in this verse. What in the eyes of the world, and perhaps the Philippians, appeared to be a death blow to the cause of the church and the advance of the gospel, the loss of their pastor, was in fact being sovereignly superintended by God for the very advancement of the gospel. Isn't God good? In this life, God is actively superintending what you appear to be passively experiencing. And what you are tempted to interpret as hindrances to the advance of the gospel are often God's helps towards it. Now, it may take a long time to see that worked out. Okay, It might take a while to see that. In fact, we may even have to sometimes wait for the life to come. And we will see the great tapestry of God's works of providence. But the thing Paul is pressing home here isn't simply that the gospel is advancing despite adversity 
Rather, the adversity itself is the engine of the Gospel. It's the means that God is using to advance the Gospel. He makes the wrath of men to praise Him, he says, in the book of Psalms. Samuel Rutherford was a Scottish covenanter pastor banished like Paul from his beloved congregation. And he was sent away to Aberdeen, far away from his little congregation in Anwath in the 1630s. And while he was there in Aberdeen, he wrote this to his congregation. He said, I hang by a thread. I hang by a thread. But it is of Christ's spinning. Hear that? I'm hanging by a thread here. But the thread is a thread of Christ's spinning. He says, there is no quarrel more honest or honorable than to suffer for the truth. Maybe some of you here this evening feel like you're hanging by a thread. Hanging by a thread. Remember who spun the thread. God's superintendents, remember this. Whatever, whatever it is that's happened to you in your life, whatever's happened to you, Whatever it is will actually turn out for the furtherance of the Gospel if you are in Christ. It's marvelous. Paul is, of course, citing one specific example from his own present experience, but elsewhere he states this actually as a fixed principle of God's providence. And you all know the verse. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. You see, God, God has a purpose. The advance of the Gospel and His glory. And it's not our advancement. He's not interested in our advancement. Although we tend to get that as a byproduct because He's so good to us. But His interest is that the Gospel go forth. It's not the advancement of our health. It's not the advancement of our wealth, as Psalm 49 reminded us. It's not the advancement of our prosperity. That's not what matters. During his final imprisonment, Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.9, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the Word of God isn't chained. The Word of God is not chained. Paul's personal comfort took the back seat. It took the back seat. Because Paul's priority was the same as God's priority, that the Gospel would be preached. And his adversity would be no impediment to Gospel advancement because of God's superintendence. But there's more. There's also evidence. Evidence. God showed His superintendence over Paul's adversity in that Paul's adversity provided evidence. Evidence for unbelievers. And again, this is remarkable. Verse 13. It has become evident. To who? To the whole palace guard. And to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. That Greek word evidence or evidence, it comes from a verb that means to reveal something that had formerly been hidden from someone. And something here clearly had been revealed to the whole palace guard, which apart from Paul's chains would have ever remained hidden from them. And that, of course, is the gospel. So it's a picture of Paul. Here he is in this dungeon somewhere in Rome. And he's chained between these two beefy Praetorian guards. He can't get away. He's no privacy. 
He's under constant surveillance. But who is really the captive audience here? Who is really the captive audience? Who's really in chains? Is it Paul? Or is it those pagans chained next to him? <laughs> you know the answer. Different perspective, you see. Their chains of spiritual darkness are far more serious than Paul's mere physical ones. And Paul has evidently been talking to them about Jesus. The Praetorian guards who were clocking on to their assigned shifts with Paul were clocking off as chained men. It's amazing. They'd never met a prisoner like this before. He wasn't in chains for criminal activity. He was in chains for preaching a life-giving message about a crucified Jewish rabbi who had risen from the dead, he said, and offered eternal life to all who would repent and believe Him as Savior and coming judge. And so it is. The Gospel advances through adversity. In fact, the agents of Paul's personal adversity. Think about that. The actual agents of his personal adversity, the palace guard, are the very ones among whom the Gospel is advancing. This, this is God's economy, people. This is what He does. And nor is it just one or two guards. Verse 13 says, it's evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. We've seen that the Praetorian Guard were these elite Roman troops who served as Caesar's personal bodyguards. Estimated there were perhaps about 9,000 of these Praetoriani in Rome in this period. All the rest probably refers to everyone else who, who had knowledge of Paul's case. Many influential people in the imperial capital knew Paul. They knew the Savior for whom he suffered. Can you imagine if a revival broke out among the security staff at the White House? I mean, I mean, that's kind of what it would be like. The president's own security detail traveling far and wide around the capital, the nation, and the world with his entourage. And all the time they're talking about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing? Would that not be a tremendous thing? But what if it didn't stop there? Imagine the conversion of more high-profile members of the White House, personal secretaries, members of the cabinet, even members of the first family. That's what actually happened in Caesar's palace. That's Can you understand Paul's excitement here? Hey, I've been changed. But look what God's doing with it. He can't wait to tell them, I want you to know something, brothers. The things that happened to me, you know, the things that you're weeping about, they've actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. And by way of application to us this evening, Gospel priorities drive Paul. Gospel priorities drive Paul, not his circumstances. Right? Not his circumstances. That's not what's driving him. Paul's setbacks become his opportunities. And friends, you and I need to seize the Gospel opportunities that are presented by our adversities. When things happen to you, is your uppermost question the same as Paul? How can God advance the Gospel through this? How can I make sure this trial will result in evidence for unbelievers? 
When things happen to you, God gives you a whole new mission field. Just think who the Lord has maybe brought into your life through your troubles that otherwise you would never have had them cross your path. Maybe it's doctors, consultants, staff at an unemployment agency. You find yourself bumping into people through life's trials you never would have met otherwise. Have your antenna up. Here's a gospel opportunity. You must learn. That's a hard lesson to learn. Paul makes it look easy. But we need to learn to make the things that have happened to you serve gospel ends. And that is one reason the superintending God has brought them into your life in the first place. If you learn this lesson, it will sweeten your trials. It will sweeten your personal trials. It will sweeten your congregational trials. It will sweeten your family trials. That's why God brings them into our lives. The bad news often becomes a vehicle for the good news. Some years ago in Indianapolis, uh, John will remember this uh, tragic thing happened. A young pastor's wife, Amanda Blackburn was her name, and she was murdered in her home. Uh, it was a uh, home invasion um, and uh, apparently a robbery. And she was 12 weeks pregnant. This young couple, he, his pastor, her husband had just begun his ministry in the city. And her pastor husband said this to the press the next day. This is what he said. This is from the Indianapolis Star. Quote, There is no way to prepare yourself for circumstances like these. As deeply as I am hurting, I am hopeful and confident that through this, even more people will come to saving faith in Christ. That's what he says. Here's a brother in Christ, and he's suffering the unimaginable. But he can say to the world with Paul, no doubt with tears in his eyes, I want you to know, Mr. Reporter, that what has happened to me has actually turned out for the advance of the gospel. And over the following days, the Indianapolis Star began posting excerpts of his sermons in the print edition of the newspaper and on the website as well. Only the great day will reveal what God accomplished by the death of that young woman and her child. Things happen to us, but through them, there's gospel advance. Advancing through adversity. Now, brothers and sisters, none of this, of course, means that what happens to us doesn't hurt. You can listen to this, and it's, it's marvelous. But the gospel hasn't turned Paul into some kind of emotionless robot, impervious to pain, just kind of programmed to respond to stimuli with a fake grin. The Apostle Paul was flesh and blood. We know this from the book of Acts. Paul kind of enjoyed being chained to these Roman soldiers 24-7 with no privacy. But Paul has come to see his own sufferings in light of Christ's sufferings. He's come to see them not as just meaningless, random events, but sent from God with a redemptive purpose. And there are difficult providences. They're hard. They hurt. And you weep over them. Difficult providences, but there are no random providences. And that's our comfort. 
We just sang from Psalm 111. Psalm 111, 7 and 8. The works of His hands are verity and justice. They stand fast forever and ever, and they are all done in truth and uprightness. Every one of them. You can take that to the bank. Everything that's ever happened to you. All His works are done in truth and uprightness. So gospel advance through superintendence, evidence, and finally confidence. Confidence. Have a look again with me at verse 14. Verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. God has shown His superintendence over Paul's adversity by providing evidence for, for unbelievers, but also by providing confidence for believers. So evidence for unbelievers, confidence for believers. This is the, the fruit of the suffering he's going through. The gospel has been advanced in the church as well, not in salvation, but in sanctification. And in particular here, he mentions this instilling of confidence in the hearts of Christians in Rome. Specifically, he says, they've become confident by my chains. Confident by my chains. That's, that's an astonishing statement. Confident by my chains. You, you can imagine how Satan and the enemies of the gospel in Rome made a lot of hay out of this high-profile prisoner that was in the dungeon, right? You can imagine that. Imagine the headlines, right? This is where Christianity takes you guys. Why would you follow this Jesus Christ? Look at this great star preacher, the Apostle Paul. If you follow Christianity, it'll make you an enemy of the state. It brings nothing but suffering and mockery and exclusion. Give it all up. That's the way the enemies of the cross have always tried to make a spectacle of the martyrs. To set them up as a deterrent to anyone who would be crazy enough to go out there and evangelize and preach the Christian faith. But listen to what Paul says. Far from this becoming a deterrent, Paul's imprisonment became an incentive. It's actually the opposite. It did not drive the Roman Christians underground. Rather, it energized them. It remobilized them. And so they were much more bold, Paul said. Much more bold. To speak the word without fear. Brothers and sisters, I don't need to tell you that Satan's great goal is to silence the preaching of the gospel. That's his big goal. And make no mistake, the enemies of the gospel want to silence preachers. They want to do it. Many today are forcing a wicked agenda on this nation. But so far, they're still promising exemptions, right? And you hear this all the time. Exemptions for churches, exemptions for Christian ministries. But tomorrow, given the opportunity, do you really think, do you really think the rising tide is going to stop there? Paul focuses here on the ordained preachers of the gospel in verse 15. But it's clear in verse 14, he's talking about all of us. He's talking about Christians in general, the brothers, he says, the brothers, they have been bolder evangelists on account of his suffering. And if Pastor Paul 
in his confinement can speak the word to his neighbor. Can we who have our liberty tomorrow morning at the office, do we not have freedom to do so? God often uses suffering pastors to stir the hearts of the flock out of their apathy. And you see this. You ever wonder why it is? I don't have to ask you this this evening. But I'm sure you wonder why it is that God seems to cripple, seems to silence some of His most useful servants. That's not academic for you to hear this evening. I know that. And we can all think of other examples, even in our denomination and beyond. Why does He do it? The answer is for the furtherance of the gospel. It seems so counterintuitive. And what I have to ask you this evening in Springs Reform, do you believe? Do you believe that God can superintend a pastor's sufferings to stir up his congregation to even greater usefulness? Do you believe that even the painful process of crippling and silencing may in the end speak more eloquently than another 30 years of sermons he may preach? That's the God we serve. He does this. And He's good. He's good. All the time. All the time. The Scottish reformer, George Wishart, was a powerful preacher. He had great influence all across Scotland. He was arrested and burned alive. Burned alive. A great preacher. Silenced, snuffed out. This made such a massive impression on his personal bodyguard, a young man called John Knox. You may have heard of him before. In a matter of weeks, Knox had been called to the gospel ministry. And in the end, he would have a far, far more far-reaching ministry than even Wishart. Or take the covenanter pastor Donald Cargill, a field preacher of great energy and power, arrested and hanged. Another great preacher, removed from the scene. But there was one teenager in the crowd watching the execution. His name was James Rennick. You may have heard of him as well. He was so moved. He was so moved by the suffering pastor he decided to train for the ministry, went to seminary, and he himself became a powerful preacher and ultimately a martyr for Christ. Knox and Rennick were bold, but in the words of our verse, they were made much more bold, much more bold to speak the word without fear. And why? Because they witnessed the sufferings of the Lord's ministers who preceded them. Friends, the gospel advances. It's advancing this evening in this city. It's advancing through adversity. Not despite adversity, but through it. Have you been a means, perhaps, of building the confidence of your fellow believers because, like Paul, something happened to you? Something happened to you. Has the Lord used your adversities and trials as means of advancing the kingdom by emboldening some other Christian? Maybe you've been in a unique place to bear a particular burden 
of someone facing the same adversity that you have received. Maybe your quiet and patient witness to Christ through your trial has inspired them to maintain a faithful witness to Christ through theirs. Brothers and sisters, when things happen to you, let, let the uppermost question in your, in your mind be the same as Paul. How will God advance the kingdom even through this? Even through this? How can I make sure that this trial will result in greater confidence for believers and greater evidence for unbelievers? Pray to that end and work to that end and learn to make the things that happen to you serve gospel ends. Well, as we close, Paul has shown us this evening how the gospel advances through adversity, not despite adversity. He's illustrated this personal adversity and how it was one of God's tools to gospel advance in a fallen world. And friends, when, when gospel advance becomes a greater priority to you than personal adversity, you have become a powerful tool in the Redeemer's hands. That, that's a tremendous place to get to in your Christian experience. And what the church in this land needs and is going to need is men and women and boys and girls who are sold out to the gospel, whose chains are in Christ and part of the price that they are ready to pay willingly for the one who was crucified for them. So where are your priorities this evening? As individuals, as families, as a congregation in transition? What personal adversity are you perhaps unwilling to undergo for the sake of gospel advance? Are you willing to let go of personal freedoms and comforts for the sake of the kingdom? Or would you rather secretly prefer the gospel spread to be hindered if only you can keep a certain degree of comfort in your life? May the Lord teach us all to say with Paul in all of our trials that things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. Well, as you remain seated, let us call upon God in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we call upon you tonight as the great God of providence who superintends all the things which happen to us. O Lord, there is not one of us here this evening who has not faced trials of one kind or another. Perhaps some of them still baffle us. O Lord our God, we pray not only to a God who is superintending all providence, we call on our Father, our Father who loves us, who's adopted us as His sons and daughters, who's given His most precious thing for us, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, if You did not spare Your own Son, but give Him up for us all, will You not also give along with Him all things. You know the needs we have. You know the needs of this congregation in this season of transition. Some of it expected, some of it unexpected. All of it things that have happened, but none of them are things that have escaped your notice, your care, and your guiding hand. So I would pray this evening that You would lead 
this congregation, that you would lead the elders and the deacons as they uh, seek to make wise decisions, O God, about a new permanent location to worship you in this city. You know the neighborhoods and the the communities that you would like these, your saints, to reach. Place them, O Lord, and plant them, and plant them soon, we pray, in a place, O Lord, where they can be a, a blinding light to this dark place. O God, show mercy, we pray, to our dear brother Jason and Janine and the kids. Bless them, O Lord. O Lord, speak into their hearts words of comfort and strength and encouragement. Lord, bless all in this place who are going out this week and know they have to face great difficulties and challenges. May they each advance through adversity. Lord, we ask and pray that You would help us to not simply be hearers of this Word tonight, but to hear Your Spirit speaking into our hearts that we might be doers of it, that we may go forth from this place with a fresh resolve to have gospel priorities in our lives. Enable us, O Lord God, to live for You and give us Your courage for the week ahead. Pardon every sin through Christ's shed blood. And we ask it all in His name. Amen.